Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 1, 12-18, called Progress Through Problems. So here's Paul under house arrest. He's appealed to Caesar in the book of Acts. We read about this in chapter 24 and 25. And then we get an explanation of what he's up to in chapter 28. We read that in the introduction. But Paul was, had a certain amount of freedom. People were coming to Paul. This is the very end of the book of Acts. And he was freely able to share the gospel. But here's what was happening. The Roman guards that guarded Paul would be chained to him, literally, and change, I think it was either every four or six hours. So every time Paul got a new guard, guess what opportunity he got? To share the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was both probably direct sharing and indirect. Because remember, there were people coming to Paul's location because he couldn't leave. But they were coming to him and Paul was preaching Jesus Christ from the Old Testament from the morning until the evening. So you can imagine the guards were getting an earful because they were on the clock. They had no other option but to listen to Paul share his testimony over and over again, share the truths of the gospel, share his revelations from the Lord into the truth of the gospel. Can you imagine? They're getting a seminary education four to six hours a day. And every time they changed over, I think the Apostle Paul stretched a little bit, went, all right, Lord, (laughs) here's another shot at another guard. How else would Paul be able to reach in to Caesar's world with the good news of the gospel unless the Lord had allowed this to occur? No one would have ever thought of this. A means of evangelism into the Roman leadership through Paul's imprisonment? I mean, if Paul is thinking in practical terms, remember the guy traveled everywhere. You ever looked at his missionary journeys? Up and down, red lines, black lines, yellow lines, up, down, back, forth, rivers, mountains, robbers, you name it. Hanging on to wreckage in the sea to get the gospel to another soul, going on islands, etc., to get the gospel out. And now he's imprisoned and you know, the natural reaction on a human level would be, you got to be kidding me, Lord. This, how could this be your will? You've got me traveling everywhere to share the gospel, and now you got me chained in some location to these guards? But this, is what, this was God's plan. God is the great exploiter of evil circumstances for good purposes. However they come about, and I know we all theologically wrestle with some of these concepts, And God's, you know, we might call God's particular sovereignty. uh, Is he over every single action that ever takes place on the planet? Or does he allow a certain amount of free will and then take that and exploit it for his purposes because he's just so majestic in his nature? There's different views. Good people disagree. But here's the bottom line. God has taken Paul's circumstance and turned it for the advance of the gospel. Amen? Amen. And the guards couldn't get away. And so Paul was probably preaching to them night and day and day and night. And here's how we know the result. Flip over to Philippians 4. Take a look at the very end of the letter. The second to the last verse says these words. Paul's doing some final greetings and he says, 422. 
All the saints greet you, especially those of who? Caesar's household. Through this imprisonment, the gospel has reached into Caesar's family. That is amazing. Now, when Paul made his appeal to Caesar, he was, uh, back to chapter one, he was doing it because obviously they wanted to beat him without a trial and all of that. He made his appeal uh, on a legal basis as a Roman citizen. But could he have imagined that God would use this time to reach into Caesar's own palace, if you will, through the guards that guarded the, uh, you could say, the, the leading family? And here's another interesting insight. Now, Paul wrote several letters in his first Roman imprisonment, which includes Ephesians. One of the things that he wrote in Ephesians is a whole treatment on something called the armor of God. Do you know where he got that, those concepts from? Sitting with Roman elite guards, looking at their garb, and then writing metaphors into our spiritual uh, provisions from God. Amen? I do think that there are some references back to some of the Old Testament imagery of the high priest as well. But I think Paul's main metaphor for the armor of God is pulled from this experience sitting next to a Roman guard and probably being able, you know, you're chained to the guy, so you're going to study what he's got on, right? And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord uses that to bring teaching that has blessed people for two millennia. Amen? God works all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. Amen? Amen. God is good. Now, not everything that happens is good, but God is good. And Paul will say in 2 Timothy 2.9, in his last letter he ever wrote, and this time he won't get out, he says, the word of God is not chained. 2 Timothy 2.9 in the NIV I may be wearing a physical chain, Paul might say, right now, but I'm free in Christ. And he might say to a guard, you think you're free, but actually you are chained, enslaved by sin. You can't get away from that reality. Paul might say, this is who I used to be. I persecuted these people to the death. But he shared over and over again with these Roman guards. And Boyce puts it this way in his wonderful commentary on Philippians. He says, the witness of a life lived for Christ even in the midst of suffering, can spread to others. You may have chains of your own. You may be tied to a desk when you'd like to be out in more direct Christian service. You may be tied to a home, especially when the children are young and in need of constant care. You may be tied to a sickness and may never see beyond a hospital room. This should not be cause for discouragement. If you are in circumstances like these, and there are many other versions of these, This has been given to you by God or at least allowed by God and can be used by him. You can bear witness to people who come by your desk, your kitchen sink, and even your hospital bed. If you do, God will bless your efforts. You will see spiritual fruit. What is more, it will entirely change the way that you look at your limitations, whatever their cause may be. You can learn to say with Paul, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We have a gentleman, he since went up to work at the Hume Lake uh, Christian camp, but his name is Scott McDonald, and I haven't talked to him for a long time. But he went through a back surgery, and it was really difficult. Um, 
spent some time in the hospital. And he gave me elements of this story I just wanted to share with you. So recovering from a surgery. And uh, here's what the hospital workers began to say to Scott. Why is it that all these people visiting you seem to shine? They're all Hume Lake employees come to encourage him post-surgery. They all smile and seem to be so peaceful and happy. Why is that? Scott replied, because we all have the same thing, Jesus. Well, I don't want this guy to pray for me. Uh, A person in the next bed said, would you pray for me? I see what God's doing in your life. I don't need some hospital chaplain or priest to pray for me. Would you pray for me? Because I want what you got. Now, Scott's laying in a hospital bed recovering from surgery. Something that he didn't want to go through, but God is exploiting it for his good purposes. Unbelievers are often reached through things that we consider to be chains in our lives. So, you know, you might have a situation right now where you feel a little bit chained, but God can use it and does use it. And I think directly and indirectly, God was doing a work in the Roman guards and for that matter, other individuals as well. Why the chains, God? Why did this have to happen? Why me? None of that from Paul. We would understand it if he wrote it. Uh, I've, I've done it more times than I'd like to admit. Whether I verbalized it or said it in my mind. Why this? Why now? Why, why, why? You know, when your kids are small, you can die from why-itis. Did you guys know that? You know that, right? Why, why, why? <laughs> That's when parents just come up with the line, because I said so. <laughs> anyway, my thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Who could have thought that the Lord would send his son into the world to die on a terrible Roman cross? How could it be? That's why the disciples were so confused because in their mind, they thought that David has come back to restore the kingdom of Israel. He's gonna sit on David's throne, the greater David, the Messiah has come. And then he dies on a cross. And then the women come and tell the disciples, he's risen from the dead. And they're like, oh, you, you, you ladies have lost it, man. And here's another thing that he says, and that most of the brethren, now this would be believers who were ministering to Paul, with Paul. He had a certain amount of freedom under house arrest, 14. That most of the brothers, uh, the brethren, so you can see now, uh, witnessing to unbelievers who are being converted, as we saw in chapter four, and the brethren, now most of the brethren trusting in the Lord, I love the King James, it says, waxing confident, Because of my imprisonment, have what? Far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Believers were watching what was happening to Paul and saying, well, if Paul can do it in chains, then I can do it when I go to the market or when I go you know, to coach, or when I go over here, or I'm at a family dinner, or I I meet my neighbor walking their dog, or whatever it may be. I can share the gospel too. And the church began to wax more confident. It's amazing what one bold person can do to other timid people. Amen? You watch somebody step up and not be ashamed of the gospel, and all of a sudden you say, I can do that too. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. You watch somebody step up and not be ashamed of the gospel, and all of a sudden you say, I can do that too. And look, we all need it. We all need that shot in the arm. I remember uh, we were out by Corona High School, and we were handing out uh, some DVDs that were sharing the truth about the pro-life arguments and sharing the gospel, and we're handing them out, and some of the high schoolers were running, and a gentleman from our congregation who's a wonderful brother in the Lord and, and is not here at, uh, at this time, but uh, he came out with me, and we were handing out these DVDs and trying to share the gospel with Corona High School students, and, he, and I, I, he said to me, how could I not be here? My pastor's out here. If my pastor's going to be out here, how can I not be out here? And I thought, well, that, that is the power of an example, Right? That's the power of, of just somebody just saying, uh, you know what, I, I believe that God will honor the, these efforts. And there is that example of just, you know, you watch somebody and all of a sudden you get more bold because you watch them do it. And it's not that complicated to share the good news of the gospel. Amen? I mean, if ever the time was right, if ever the fields were white unto harvest, brethren, do we need anything else to share the good news? Do we need anything else to finally broach the topic with that coworker? Do, do we need anything else to finally say to someone that we love and care about, can I just, would you just give me five minutes to share the good news of the gospel? I've told you the story before, but I grew up in a Roman Catholic household and uh, we, we had a, a, a foundation of truth and certainly was, you know, uh, privy to the gospel and, and truth about the Lord, but uh, not sure I was in a personal relationship with him. And I got saved and I became a Christian pastor and my mom was used to the Roman Catholic Church. And so when my mom first came to the church, we were meeting in a warehouse. And one of the first things that my mom said to me was, there's no cross on the wall behind you. Why is there no cross back there? And I was like, well, mom, uh, that's, that's really not the most important thing is <laughs> that there's a physical cross back there. And we began to talk. But one day I uh, wanted to share with my mom the gospel, of course, because I love her and she may be watching right now. And uh, I locked the doors. We pulled into my driveway in a car. I locked the doors and I said, mom, you're going to listen to me preach the gospel to you. And she told me that she had opened her heart to the Lord and stuff. And then following that, I don't know how long afterwards, it was an Easter Sunday. I had preached on the resurrection, of course. Uh, I had given an invitation. People had walked down uh, 
and they were beneath the pulpit kind of like this. And I looked down and my mom was standing there and my mom uh, was crying and, you know, she made it official that day. And that was a beautiful moment. Amen. You can clap for that. Now, Paul will say, it's not all good news. Here's verse 15, and we're only going to go up to 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from what? Envy. This is the idea of ill will or jealousy. And strife, which is simply contention or quarreling. But some from goodwill. Now, with all this preaching going on and everybody getting bold and good stuff happening, Paul says, nah, I got to qualify something. <laughs> Not everybody is preaching from positive, loving motives. Now, it's almost incredible to think that someone would be motivated to preach from ill will. What would be going on there? What could we try to discern from this kind of information? I think this is what was happening. I think people in the Roman church remember Paul's in Rome now, who were leaders there became jealous of Paul. Here's probably how it happened. Paul's doing missionary work all over the place. God's using him in mighty ways. His desire was to bless the Roman church as well. But Rome has its own congregation and it's established. Paul comes into town and what do other spiritual leaders do? Well, many of them felt encouraged, certainly. But others felt probably threatened. This may surprise you, but spiritual leaders are not always wonderfully uh, celebrating the wonderful blessings that are happening in other people's ministries. That may disappoint you, but the truth is that pastors and spiritual leaders are humans. And sometimes when they watch other ministries being blessed, they kind of go like this. Russian, 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 Russian. Why is, why, why is he being blessed and not us? And, then... and they may not even say it out loud, but there is a jealousy. In fact, there's a running joke that when pastors get together, the first thing they ask each other is how many people go to your church? And that, as if that is the measurement of success, right? Because that's worldly success. It's all about numbers. So I heard, a, I heard a pastor say that now whenever he's asked that question, he responds with, well, we have 15 to 20,000 people going to the church. And usually it's always saucers because, you know, the average church in America is about 70, 75 people. And so the eyes get big and he says, he doesn't always clarify, but what he means is we have between 15, one five, dash, and 20,000 people. Do you see what's happening here? <laughs> he doesn't clarify it just to get a little bit of a, whoa. Because there is something in the human mind and I will tell you that a famous pastor who has fallen and fallen hard was quoted as saying that he could not receive counsel from other pastors because he had the biggest church in the area. And somebody came to him when he was about 
to go into flames, and he did, and said to him, you need to get counsel from other pastors and other mature leaders. And he, kept, and he said, I can't receive from that guy because my church is bigger than his. Now tell me if that's not a red flag. Tell me if that, you know, I feel, I feel bad for hockey goalies. Every time they get scored on, woo, woo, woo. That's gotta be a terrible thing. You gotta wanna shrink into your pads or something, you know? But he said, that's literally what he said. I can't receive. So listen to this. I heard a a gentleman and he said, look, uh, over the years, he said, I've been pastoring for decades and our church has gone up to 700 and down to 300 and and we've never had any major issues and we're right around four or 500 people. And he goes, this is what I believe. I believe that the Lord has wired me to pastor four to 500 people and I'm where he has me. And it's not that I don't want the church to grow. But he said, I believe every time we seem to get above that number, he brings us back down and maybe that's just where he has us. But I will say this, this, I'm quoting another pastor. He said, I have plenty that I can share with other pastors about ministry because it does, you don't have to be at a thousand or more to, to be able to be credible. You understand? This is what goes on in the Christian world. And, and I will tell you, it's not the stuff that we're proud of. You've been listening to Progress Through Problems, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, our Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. With our app, you can learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor. If you're local to Southern California, the app gives updates and information about upcoming Bible studies, free events, and services, both for you and your kids, like this year's Vacation Bible School, coming up in a couple weeks. If you live outside Southern California, you can still benefit from our Living Truth app. You can listen or watch Pastor Michael's previous teachings in Philippians, and you can contact the church if you have any questions or comments. Download the free Living Truth app in your app store. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word before we go. Well, Paul made progress through problems. So are you saying to me, Pastor Michael, that I should welcome problems so I can progress? Uh, Maybe you'd say, "Uh uh-uh, not on my radar, not going to do it. Oh, no, I won't go. (laughs) Hey, I get it. But here's the thing that you need to think about. Problems are inevitably going to come because we're in a fallen world. You don't have to invite them in. You don't have to be silly about it. But when they come, you can see that they have first passed through the filter of God's love who is sovereign and he can exploit them for his good purposes. So you don't invite problems, but when they come, they are certainly opportunities to progress. In what way? Well, oftentimes problems have brought us to the foot of the cross. I spoke to a young lady the other day and she told me a story where she was living a wayward life and she was facing a very, um, really a fatal diagnosis. And she was invited to a Bible study and the Lord touched her life, healed her and turned everything around. The problem became a pathway for her salvation, her healing And uh, now she's serving the Lord in ministry. And she says, really, all of her prayers as a child have come to pass. And really, it was a problem that kind of became a a, a springboard um, to finally open her heart to the Lord. 
Now, I will say that there's no guarantees that we're going to have the same experience as her. But the Lord uses problems to progress us and to give us a heart of compassion. And we don't have to invite them in, but when they come, we can have hope. Hey, we have a special event coming up on July 17th. It's a 633 apologetics event. Now, you might wonder, well, what is that about? Well, we do that based upon Matthew 633. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are special nights where we deal with kind of hot topics in the church or the culture to bring answers as we compare and contrast these ideas with the historic Christian faith. So Professor Hawkins will be here on July 17th for a special evening. We're going to have a dinner, a little bit of worship. We're going to have a time of teaching, more in-depth on the Enneagram, and then a Q&A time. So you can plan on like a 6.30 to about an 8.15 evening, 8.30, but well worth the time, well worth the drive. And uh, you're, we're kind of just wetting your whistle with some of these ideas. So that's the 6.33 event, July 17th, at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. In the city of Corona, you can get driving directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store or go to walkintruth.com, click on the church tab, and plan on joining us on July the 17th. God bless. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, called Progress Through Problems. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.